and they'll be going upstairs for their lesson, middle schoolers. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in Luke's gospel. So if you'll turn to chapter 10, we're going to cover verses 38 through 42. Finish the chapter this morning in a very familiar story, but very important story for us to consider, especially this time of year. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll make sure that Bible's handed to you so you can read the text with us. And I like to do that. One of the reasons I don't put the text up on the, the screen is I want you to, you know, bring a Bible, bring your Bible to church. Uh, there's a lot of churches that people don't bring their Bibles because the text is up there on the screen, which is fine. I want you to bring it. I love to hear the turning the pages of the Bible when I tell you to turn in your Bibles and have your Bibles with you. Matter of fact, carry your Bibles with you during the week. Have it with you. Get a Bible. We got some good Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. We'll make sure that you have the Word of God. But I love just being here and opening up our Bibles as we're going to do this morning. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42 is going to be our text as we finish uh, Luke's gospel um, that is in chapter 10 this morning. Let's begin reading at verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And Father, I pray that we would take note of uh, these things, the story, what it shows us in Uh, what we are to consider. And Father, I pray that we would be attentive uh, because, Lord, we have Mary's, we have Martha's, but, Lord, you show us um, what the priority is. You show us that serving is good, and we want to have a proper perspective. So as we go through this text, Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Jesus, as we open up the chapter, you know that he's moved out of Galilee for the very last time. He's traveled through Samaria. He's coming to the southern part of the nation called Judea. And at the beginning of the chapter, he sent out the 70 disciples that went before him into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And we know that Jesus here, he meets his family, Martha, and her sister Mary. We also know from John's gospel, as Jesus is familiar with this family, this family is a blessing to him, that there's a brother named Lazarus. They're very close and very dear to Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how this family got to know Jesus, but evidently they were very hospitable to Jesus and the disciples because there are other times, not long from this time, that Jesus and the disciples are in the home of this very special family, right before Jesus would go to the cross. Again, you can read about that in John chapters 11 and in chapter 12. And in this village that that Mary and Martha and Lazarus live, 
we know from John's gospel, is a village called Bethany. We also know that it would be referred to, according to John's narrative, as the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And I find that to be of interest because historically, Bethany was also called the house of misery. And you might be thinking, why was it called the house of misery? Because it was only two miles from Jerusalem. It was on the east side of the Mount of Olives. Now, when you go to Jerusalem today, you can stand on the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus would take uh, the fold of that colt and ride down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley into the city of Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. So the Mount of Olives, as you stand there, you're looking over the old city of Jerusalem. And just on the other side of the hill, they're not mountains like the Rocky Mountains. They're hills, really, um, is Bethany on the east side. And those who would come up to Jerusalem for the feast would come up from the Jordan Valley. They would pass through Bethany. And oftentimes, if they would go to Jerusalem, they weren't accepted by the priests. They were determined to be unclean. They were told they couldn't come and, and celebrate the feast. They would end up in Bethany as they would leave. So it ended up, was scholarship believe, uh, being called the House of Misery. And somehow over time, this family was no doubt a blessing and a help and a light in that village because then it became known as the town of Mary and, and uh, her sister Martha. And I just want to remind us, because as we head into the holiday season, we're going to be around people. We're going to have gatherings, whether it's at the workplace or whether it's with family or with friends. And sometimes in those places that we find ourselves, it can be difficult. It can be hard. You might be thinking, this workplace that I find myself in, it, it, it's miserable there. But what my prayer and what my hope is, is that you would go to the Lord and say, Lord, can I be a blessing in any way? As hard as it is and as difficult as it is, can I bring light? Can I be of help as, as a believer in Christ to that gathering, to, to whatever's taking place? And so Jesus, only about four months away from the cross at this time, we know that as he is probably in Judea, down at the Jordan uh, Valley, down by the Jordan River, he's at a place, John gives us hint, that is called Bethabar. And it's only about 20 miles from Bethany. And as you line up Luke chapter 10 chronologically with what we learn in uh, John chapter 10 is that we know that this time is what Jesus would be leaving Bethabar, coming up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Dedications, is what John chapter 10 tells us. It, it was uh, called the Feast of Lights. It's today celebrated by the Jews called Hanukkah. And we all are familiar with Hanukkah, but as Jesus is coming up, uh, as Hanukkah is celebrated, the Feast of Lights, the Feast of Dedication, at this time, and also today, celebrated in December, usually, late November to December. And it would be one of those feasts that is not recorded in the Old Testament law that they were to come up and celebrate. It, it's not one of the major feasts. That uh, Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, that Jesus is coming up to celebrate to Jerusalem. It's wintertime. It's December. That it would come and be uh, celebrated much later. Matter of fact, the Feast of Dedication commemorated the time that 
200 years before this, right here in Luke chapter 10, you see there was this Syrian king. He came into Jerusalem. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He was an awful guy. He was insane. He hated Jews, and he came in to Jerusalem. He killed many Jews. And we also know that he would take a pig. He would slaughter a pig in the Holy of Holies in the temple. He smeared the blood all over the temple. He tried to make the priest drink the pig's blood. He, he desecrated the temple. Of course, pigs were considered unclean. And this was all prophesied, as you know from our studies in the book of Daniel, by Daniel hundreds of years before it even happened. And Antiochus Epiphany actually is a picture of the one who's going to come called the Antichrist. So it's about 175 BC, 200 years before Luke chapter 10. And they, here is Antiochus. He comes into Jerusalem. Well, Judas Maccabee, perhaps you've heard of his name in Jewish history. He uh, is called uh, the Hammer. He decides to rise up with his brothers, and we're going to nail this guy, Antiochus. And so he rises up. He leads this revolt against Antiochus, and the Jews join in. And it took years, about nine years, to drive out finally Antiochus, Epiphanes, and the Syrian soldiers. So what the Jews did at that time is say, as they drove them out, matter of fact, just a little side note, that that's where they got the waving of the palm branches. Remember, Jesus, four months from this time, will get on the Mount of Olives. He would ride into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry, and they were waving the palm branches and laying the clothes on the road. That all came from the time that Antiochus was driven out. They cut down some of the branches, palm trees, and they were waving them and celebrating. And it meant it was a symbol of political freedom. You know, we've driven out Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epinani is what the Jews called him, the madman, the insane one. And we're free now. And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem in that triumphal entry, they were waving the palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were expecting him to overthrow Rome and the yoke of Rome and to usher in the kingdom at that time. So here is the Feast of, of Dedications. What happened? The Jews waving the palm branches. They cleansed the temple. They rededicated it, thus the Feast of Dedication. They relet the menorah in the holy place, that seven-branch menorah. And it was seven branches of bulls filled with oil and had wicks floating inside. And as they lit it, they realized, oh, no, there's only one day supply of oil. They would fill it up, the priest, every day. And we don't have any you know, holy oil uh, that we've made. It takes eight days to make a new batch. And this isn't good because the light's going to go out. And so what they did is they prayed. And that one day supply of holy oil lasted for eight days. So that's why you have the menorah for Hanukkah that is a specific, you know, candle that is, um, you know, higher than the other ones and then four on each side because they celebrate for eight days commemorating how eight days the menorah continued to be lit in the temple. And so that one specific candle... Uh, is used to light the other eight ones. And I believe this year, actually, that Hanukkah is going to begin uh, sunset on Christmas Eve and go through January 1st. So that's all part of what Jesus is going to, the Feast of Dedications, the Feast of Lights. He is going to Jerusalem, and it's cold because Jerusalem gets snow in December. And it's cold not only physically, but it's cold spiritually. The religious leaders are really mounting up their opposition against Jesus. 
They're more determined than ever to have him be arrested and have a reason to accuse him and to be put to death. And he's being rejected. And here in this home is a place where he finds warmth and acceptance and hospitality to this very special family that invites Jesus to stay with them. I pray again and hope for you and for me that our homes are a place where Jesus truly, truly is welcome. That the presence of Jesus is perceived. That the praises of Jesus are spoken of and the word of God and God is honored in your home. That as the Lord is there, that he's comfortable there because you are desiring to live a life that pleases God. And speak about the things of the Lord and the praises of the God of God are in your home. And so here is a special home for him. And, and notice in verse 38 that we read that it was called Martha's house. Now, Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. In other words, kind of she ruled the roost, if you would. And Jesus, welcome into this home. Remember that as we close chapter 9 of Luke, that Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matter of fact, there are two homes in Scripture that Jesus found hospitality and rest where he would be comfortable. One is here at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The other one is up in Capernaum at Peter's house. And scholarship believe that when you and the synoptic gospels read that he's in Capernaum, that he's in the house, that that's a code word for, you know, or just another reference to Peter's home. Jesus spent time there. So here he is in Bethany. And so Jesus comes to this house. And I imagine, we don't know for sure because the text doesn't tell us specifically, but you can imagine if the 12 were with him. It doesn't tell us for sure, but we do know in John chapters 11 and 12, when Jesus is there at the house, the 12 are with him. And so ladies, can you imagine, you know, 13 guys showing up at your house? No one's called you on the phone. No one has texted you. No one has warned you about it. 13 guys show up for dinner. And I imagine it would be quite stressful. And what a remarkable scene this must have been. And even though Martha, as we read, welcomed him, it indicates to us that perhaps she wasn't expecting this because all of a sudden she's scurrying around now. And this is different than when one of our kids come home and says, Mom, Dad, can some of my friends stay for dinner? Um, you know how that is. Martha welcomed him. And if the disciples were with him, she welcomed the disciples as well. Now, contrast this with what happened in Luke chapter 7. You remember when Simon the Pharisee up in Capernaum invited Jesus over to his house? And Simon the Pharisee did that because he wanted to watch Jesus. He, he, he wanted to, you know, kind of hear what he had to say. He didn't welcome Jesus in a friendly way because he wanted to really, you know, uh, desire to get to know him better. He, he wanted to have a reason to watch him and listen to him and perhaps find a reason even to accuse him because Jesus would indicate to Simon, you are a rude host. In this culture, at this time, hospitality was everything. It was everything. And it was important. And when that woman of Luke chapter 7, a lot of you know the story, only known as a notorious sinner, came in and interrupted that dinner. And she fell at Jesus' feet and began to anoint his feet and wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. And Jesus is amazed looking at this woman and said, Simon, I got something to say to you. 
She's come here. She hasn't stopped worshiping and crying and washing my feet. And Jesus would say to her that she has sinned much, but she loves much. And go your way because your faith has saved you. And Simon, I got something to say to you. That when I came to your house, you didn't anoint my head. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You were rude. So here, all of that would be with, with she welcomed him, uh, welcoming him, the hospitality being important, making sure that his feet would be washed and his head anointed and greeted with a, a kiss. And we don't know if she and Mary would take care of all that in welcoming them or if perhaps there was a servant. It does give us a hint in John chapter 11 that they were a family that were of influence, at least Lazarus was, because when he dies, it tells us in verse 19 of the chapter that many of the Jews from Jerusalem came to mourn the death of Lazarus. We also know that Mary, then in John chapter 12, pours out an alabaster box of expensive fragrant oil on Jesus to anoint him right before his death. And we're told that that fragrant oil was worth nearly a year's wage. So we get a little bit of hint that they were of some means, not extremely wealthy, but they were of some means. And after Jesus' welcome and the guests, it wasn't that Martha could call out for Chinese or run to get some Little Caesar pizza like we would in this you know, day and age in a situation if people come that we weren't expecting to. There's a whole process that's taking place here. Perhaps the lamb that is being dressed and prepared, wheat that's being grinded up, and, and there's the busyness that begins, and then it begins to get really busy. That's one of the reasons as we read this story, we see that Martha becomes overwhelmed, and that's why I think that perhaps that the disciples were here. And this whole process is going on. Let's read verse 39 again. And she had a sister called Mary who also, take note of that, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So that wording that Mary who also indicates to us that she would initially be involved in not only greeting Jesus and the disciples if they were with him, but in serving and she would be involved in all of that and in in the preparation of this meal. And then as she's doing that, all of a sudden she would take a place at Jesus' feet to hear his word. Three times that we see Mary mentioned in the scriptures. Luke chapter 10, John chapter 11, and John chapter 12. And each time she's at the feet of Jesus. The first time we see her here in Luke is as she is listening to Jesus' words. Second time we see her, she's weeping at the death of her brother. And then the third time she's worshiping him as she anoints Jesus pouring out the most valuable thing that was in her life. And she is committed in scripture, not by her activity, but by her posture. Now, as we look at this little vignette, this is not Martha's are bad and need to be rebuked and and Mary's are good. But there are some things that we can learn from here because Martha's are very important. And Jesus does not rebuke her for her serving. He doesn't say to what you're doing is, is bad but he gives proper perspective and priority that I know that I need to consider. Listen, I love having Martha's. Those who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get things done, 
We have Marthas here at the church, and I am so thankful for them. They are a blessing to me. Marthas, whether they're, they're men and women that really help out in very practical ways, and they are a blessing to this church family, and they are very needed, and they are very much appreciated. And I know for me, by nature, I am more of a Martha. I like to stay busy. I want to get things done. Marthas are thinkers and planning, and, and this is what we got to get done now and what needs to take place. And I was taught growing up that work is good and fun must be earned. That's just the way I was raised up. When I got first in the ministry, I thought, okay, for me, when it comes to other ministers, you know, and pastors, I may not be as funny as they are. I may not be as intelligent as they are. I, I may not be as dynamic as they are, but I'll try to outwork them. I will try to outwork you in ministry. And one of the reasons I love being here in Greeley and in Well County is because I really admire and respect and appreciate so many of you that you work the land and you have your own businesses and you work out in the fields and you're professionals, you're, you're in law enforcement, you're teachers, you work in the hospitals and you work hard. And I look at that and I admire that. And I very much respect that, how hard you work. And what happens to us who are Marthas, I know that there are some here this morning that if we're not careful, we start to lose perspective like she does. And we can, over time, as we are burdened, we start to fuss and we begin to stress and we begin to look down on the Marys who are sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary was working. But over time, I imagine that She's there, she sees the Lord, hears him talking and says, I'm not going to miss out on this opportunity to hear him. I'm going to be at his feet, which is a posture of being a disciple and a worshiper. And I imagine she's so focused on Jesus, she forgets for the moment about all the activity that's going on there in the kitchen. Now keep in mind, Jesus is welcome in both of their lives. But verse 40, as we read, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha is busy doing a good work. I believe that she wants to do her very best in preparing this meal for Jesus. She wants it to be special. She wants to show her affection and love and devotion to him in her efforts in making this meal for him. You see, Paul the Apostle, writing his second letter to the Corinthians, would say that it's the love of Christ that compels me or motivates me. And whatever we do for Jesus and whatever ministry that we do and living for him ought to be out of a motivation because I love you, Lord because of what you've done for me. And I love you because you first loved me. You died for me while I was yet a sinner. You've shown your perfect love towards me. You proved it on Calvary's cross and going to the to cross and dying for my sins. And so anything that we do for him and as we live for him, it's the love of Christ that motivates us, compels us. But we're going to learn from Martha what not to do, but also we can learn from her as well. Because Colossians chapter 3, verse 24 tells us that whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And I believe she's doing that. She wants this to be special. She's doing it heartily as unto the Lord. And what about you and me? I pray that as we live for the Lord, 
and as we desire to serve the Lord, that we would do all things heartily as unto the Lord. That we wouldn't be lazy spiritually. Oh, Lord, you know, if I have a devotion time once this month, or, you know, if I read my Bible once in a great while, or, you know, if I go to church once a month. And listen, I'm not saying this to be condemning in any way, but just an honest evaluation. Do we live for the Lord? Do we serve the Lord in a way that I want to please you? Oh, Lord, you know, I'm going to be in the coffee shop. I'm going to be ushering. I'm going to be in the classroom with the kids. It doesn't matter if I show up on time. I won't even show up. They'll just put somebody else in there. Certainly, I know that you don't want that mindset, and we don't. We get to serve the true and the living God and what an honor it is and whatever he has for us and to live for him. And Martha, I don't think, has that mindset of, well, I'm just going to slap something on a bun and be done with it. She cares about the Lord. She welcomes him. She wants it to show in how she serves him. This is Jesus. This is my Lord. But something happens. In all of the preparation and busyness, she gets distracted. And that word there that we read, it means that she's under pressure. She's anxious. She's getting overwhelmed. She's distracted with much serving. She's going, I picture, from this boiling pot to that boiling pot to, oh, I got to find that spice. And what's in the oven that's going to burn? And, and I got to get the dinner, dinnerware you know, ready to go. And she's just overwhelmed because she made it that way. Martha was distracted, it says, with much serving. And she's going all out to where she's overwhelmed, and she sits, sets this standard that ends up being a huge burden. And her expectation, we are learning, is not Jesus' expectation. Interesting that that word distraction is found one other place in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35, for you who like to jot down notes, as Paul says, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Martha's not doing that. She is burdened. She is overwhelmed. She's stressing out. And it started out to where she's excited to see the Lord. I'm going to, you know, make him and the others his great meal. And Mary and Martha start getting things ready. And somehow, as Jesus is talking, speaking, Mary picks herself at his feet. I'll get it back. good. Four services a week <clears throat> does that. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Here we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. But somewhere, Jesus is talking, speaking. Mary picks her, you know, uh, parks herself, that is, at his feet. I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. The Lord is here. And Martha sees that, that Mary is gone. And she's over there you know, listening to Jesus, gazing in his eyes. And she's getting more uptight because Mary isn't paying any attention to me. And I can almost guarantee that she's there at the door of the kitchen doing this. <laughs> and, you know, hands on her hips, looking at Mary, and then, you know, the look on her face. And I know how that look on the face can be. Sue's given me that look once in a while in my life, and I think, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. You know, maybe she's given hand signals like, get, get in here. And, and Mary's there, 
She's probably not paying attention and her anger builds and tension builds and then she, she just burst. And it tells us that she approached Jesus, approached him, which means that she came right up to him. Jesus here is ministering to Mary in this beautiful scene and here comes Martha, a snarl on her face, finger pointing, perhaps voices raised and, and you don't care, Lord. You don't care that my sister has left me to serve, you know, alone. Tell her, since she isn't listening to me, you tell her to get it back in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, in this moment, the mood is tense. The joy of Jesus in their home is gone. Any hospitality that, that she so desired to show initially that she worked so hard for has just now gone out the window, it's gone. Have you ever been over at somebody's house that perhaps that there's tension in the kitchen or as you're over there and you can sense it and, and it's just kind of uncomfortable? I've been in Martha's shoes. I've been in her sandals all too many times. In other words, in my service to the Lord. And over time, it just, because I expect this and I want that, it starts to get tense and I get uptight at everyone and I get burdened and I'm sure that in life that many of you most of you at some time whether it's your service to the Lord in your business in your job in your raising the kids making a living trying to do your best to help someone out in some way that you lost perspective and you lost your joy. And that's what happened to Martha here. She says, Lord, don't you care? And tell my sister, doesn't even say her name. And I've been there. Lord, don't you care that I'm working so hard for you? That I'm laboring for you? And those people, those people, they don't do their part. And there isn't anyone around to help me. It's that Martha mentality and attitude that can be in me. And don't you care? Doesn't that sound familiar? Remember Luke chapter 8? That the disciples woke Jesus up and said, Don't you care as they're in that boat in the Sea of Galilee in that storm? Don't you care that we're going to perish? We just woke you up so you can watch us all go down in the water and drown. And talk about losing perspective and needing to calm down and reevaluate. She tells them, you know, then Jesus, what he needs to do. You tell her to get back in that kitchen. Tell her to help me. Interesting. Because that word help, again, is used in one other place in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as for we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see the Spirit coming alongside to help us bear things up when we are burdened. Tell my sister to get in here to help with this burden. The problem was it was self-imposed. And so the Lord very tenderly and very honestly answers her and says, Martha, Martha. Now, whenever the Lord says your name twice, you know that reproof is coming or correction. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. 
And the Lord is not bringing reproof to her service, but for her attitude. And one of the things that the Lord has really shown me is that in my desire, I want to do my very best for the Lord and I want to serve him that I can get very troubled easily. I can get very stressed. I can get very burdened and upset if I'm not in control. If my expectations aren't being met, things aren't being done to my standard and I got to have my hand on everything. And Martha, who is a server, and that is a good thing. The weight isn't in serving. She has the gift of service. The burden is self-imposed. And Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that may be a word for somebody here that's passed through the morning services that you're weary and you're heavy laden and you've lost your joy. And Lord, I'm trying to do my best and it seems like nothing's happening or you don't care or no one's there to help me. And the Lord says, come to me and take my yoke upon you for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And you see, when we take on other people's burdens that we shouldn't or we take on too many burdens ourselves, and have all these expectations on ourselves, it's not the Lord's burden because his burden is light and we lose our joy and we get all stressed out. And it's then that I've got to reevaluate that I'm taking on a burden that I shouldn't, Lord, because you said my burden is light. And because when we serve the Lord, there should be joy. Remember in verse 17 of the chapter, the 70 returned with joy. And I know that there are seasons in our lives where we can get burdened with things. I understand that. But the Lord desires to give us joy unspeakable and to give us a, a peace that passes understanding and for us to still give thanks to the Lord, not blaming the Lord. Lord, you don't care. And Lord, this is what should be happening. Tell her to get back into this kitchen to help. And the Lord says, Martha, Martha. And I've heard that in my life. Jeff, Jeff. You're distracted by many things right now. You're troubled. And he doesn't say it in anger. He says it very tenderly. You hear it here. You hear it when he says, Simon, Simon. Satan's been asking for you. And he desires to shift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you are restored, strengthen the brethren. You hear it when he says, Saul, Saul, why thou persecuted me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You hear it when he wept over Jerusalem, saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing to come. Martha, Martha, you are distracted. The King James reads, You are careful and troubled. Again, it's interesting. That word careful is used in another place in the New Testament. Remember the parable of the soils that Jesus cast, you know, that parable of the sower that cast seed on different types of soil and what happened in one type of soil that the sower sowed seed on, which Jesus said is the word of God, that the plant came up, but then the, the cares of the world, in other words, the weeds and thistles came out and choked out that plant. Jesus said, that's like the one who the word of God is, is sowed 
upon the heart and it begins to germinate there. But the cares of the world, same word, that's our word here. You are careful and troubled. The cares of the world, the pleasures of the world begin to choke out the word of God. And all of us have the cares of the world, every single one of us. The cares of the world aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. We all have cares in working and raising kids and and taking care of family and serving the Lord in all these things. But what can happen is over time, it begins to just choke out the joy, Martha, Martha, you are careful. It's being choked out your joy and your devotion and your love for me. And it can happen with us. The cares of living life and the cares of the world and the cares of what the Lord has us to do. So what's the answer for us Martha's? But one thing is needed, verse 42, that is of importance and priority. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I've come to learn that the priority of the Lord is for fellowship and closeness and to take the time to sit at his feet. And he's more interested in me than he is in my busyness. Now, serving the Lord is important. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know that there are times where we need to get things done. It reminds me of Moses. And as the chariots of Egypt were about ready to come down on, on the children of Israel, so they're backed up against the Red Sea. And, and the Lord said, Moses, you know, tell the people to lift up their eyes and see thy salvation. And you're going to lift up your, your staff and the Red Sea's going to part. And, and as time went on, the Lord said, Moses, why do you keep crying out to me? Get the people moving forward. In other words, get that rod lifted up and let's go. We need to get going. And there are times where the Lord says, we got work that we need to do. We need to get going. But here's the thing. Keep it a priority that you're not so busy always trying to do things for the Lord that you don't have any time to spend with the Lord. You are only going to be as strong and as spiritual as your devotional life is. I want to say that again. You are only going to be as strong and as spiritual as your devotional life is, sitting at his feet, listening to his word. And we get busy in life. And it's a busy time of the year coming up with the holidays. There's baking, there's shopping, there's all kinds of things that need to be done. Schoolwork. You wake up every day and busyness is there ready to slap you in the face. And it's going to be really important that we sit at his feet. We're listening to him. And spending that time with him. And I know that my prayer has been, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to lose that joy. In life, I don't want to lose the joy of the Lord in serving you. I don't want to go through life just grumping and complaining. And, and that's the mindset. And Lord, you know, why don't these people help me? And Lord, you don't care and all of this. Lord, you do care. And I want to serve you with joy and devotion and motivate it for my love for you. 
the church at Ephesus, Jesus wrote a letter to them. And in Revelation chapter 2, he commended them. He says, oh, you're a church. I know your works. I know your labor. He's, he's, he's saying, this is good. You persevere. You've labored for my namesake. And you have not become weary. But nevertheless, I do have this against you. You've left your first love. And in all the busyness and in all the things that are going on and labor that he commends them, he says, you've left your first love. He didn't say you lost it. He said you left it. So remember it, return to it, and remain there. Remember what it was like when we first came to, to know the Lord and, oh, you know, being forgiven, you know, we're a new creation in Christ. I felt alive for the very first time. I didn't realize how dead I was. I don't want to forget that. And Lord, you've saved me. And I get the privilege to serve you and to pastor this church, but I don't want to lose that joy as the church is growing, there's challenges and there's things to be done. I don't want to lose that joy. I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. And I don't want to leave my first love. I want to sit at your feet when I begin my day. I want to listen to your words as I end my day and be sensitive to your leading. And as we do that, the joy of the Lord in our hearts and the joy of just living for him will remain there. Don't lose your first love. Don't lose it. Go back if you have. Go back and sit at his feet. If you've lost your joy and your burden, you know, in serving him, go back, spend some time with him and listen to him as he brings that comfort that you need in life that he desires to give to you. The most important thing, always remember this, is to know him. It's more important than serving him. Now, serving him is important. Don't go away thinking serving him is not important. It's very important. But to know him, to know him, to love him. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder that sometimes it, in life and in ministry, it kind of creeps up on us. We get so busy and we lose perspective on things and so we thank you that this story is recorded so that we can get back that perspective and we know that the scripture says work is good and serving you is wonderful that that's your desire for us but lord i do pray that we would always have a desire more than anything to sit at your feet and to know you and father i pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you personally through Jesus Christ, anyone here that's never surrendered to Jesus, their life, to come to give forgiveness of sin that only comes through Jesus' death on the cross, to come to salvation, believing in him and what he has done for us and dying for our sins and rising from the grave, that they would know that Jesus did it because of his love. He did that work on the cross, motivated by love. He cried out, it is finished. And I've died for your sins that were placed upon him and rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death. And salvation only comes through faith in Jesus, not through anyone else or anything else. And if you've never done that, you see, we're going to come to the communion table in just a minute here. And we're going to hold those elements, the, the, the bread, the 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 as we have the juice, and it all symbolizes the new covenant 
that we belong to, his body being broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin, and we marvel at that. It's for the believer. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. Because he is the way. He's the way to forgiveness and salvation and right relationship with the Father. And you can pray that Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for me and you rose again from the grave. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Sit upon the throne of my life. And I thank you for your love for me and for dying for me. Help me to know you in this new beginning that I have. In Jesus' name. And if anyone prayed that prayer, when we finish the service, uh, Pastor John's going to be up front. I want you to tell him the decision you made. We want to give you a Bible. We want to bless you. We want to encourage you. But for now, as we go to the Lord's table, as the elements are handed out, that we wouldn't just see it as an exercise that we go through the first Sunday of the month, but really just take time to give thanks to him and to just be at awe once again of his incredible work in dying for our sins, going to that cross. The ushers will hand out the communion elements. Hang on as there's two, two cups, one with the, the bread, one with the juice, and then we'll partake of it together. Amen.